Hello, and welcome to Dialogues in Dermatology. I'm Dr. Todd Schlesinger, your Editor-in-Chief. We have another exciting podcast for you today. We hope that you enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Dialogues in Dermatology. I am Dr. Flavia Fidelis from Massachusetts General Hospital Dermatology, and the topic of today's dialogue is emerging therapies in the management of cutaneous connective tissue diseases, lupus erythematosus, and Sjogren's syndrome. To have this discussion, it is my great, great pleasure to introduce Dr. Jun Lu. Dr. Lu is Associate Professor of Dermatology at the University of Connecticut Health Center in the Department of Dermatology, and she's also the Director of the Clinical Research Unit in the Department of Dermatology. She has extensive research experience, clinical experience with treating patients with complex autoimmune connective tissue disorders. Dr. Lu, welcome, and thank you so, so much for having a dialogue with me today on this very important topic. Yeah, very nice meeting you. It's my honor to be invited to do the podcast for on the topic of cutaneous lupus and Sjogren's and the emerging therapy for these, one of the most common connective tissue disease. Thank you so much for, for joining me. This is a topic that's very near and dear to my heart, so I'm very excited to have this conversation today. I was thinking before we jump into talking about the treatments, let's remind our listeners why these are important diseases and where we can definitely make a big difference as as dermatologists. Yeah, uh, lupus erythematosus is probably the most common connective tissue disease with cutaneous manifestations uh, as dermatologists will see in the clinic. They can present with and without a systemic involvement. And a lot of these conditions, the different type of cutaneous lupus, as we know, uh, usually classified in three big classes, like acute cutaneous lupus, the hallmark of the butterfly rash, the subcutaneous cutaneous lupus, and chronic cutaneous lupus, including discoid lupus, lupus profundus, etc. They can present with or without a systemic involvement. A lot of these conditions does cause scarring, permanent scarring, disfiguring, extreme pruritus, and significantly affect the patient's quality of life. And up to these days, as we all know, that some of the very challenging cases are not responding well to the conventional standards treatment we have available. So there's definitely a met need there that I think is very important for us to you know, talk and discuss about these conditions. Thank you for that. That's very well put. Definitely lupus, especially one of the most common connective tissue diseases, and there's definitely a huge need for better therapies. It definitely is one of those conditions where there are a lot of health disparities. It affects primarily women. There's higher susceptibility for both cutaneous lupus and SLE in people of color, higher risk of developing severe uh, manifestations, higher mortality, younger age of mortality, et cetera. And so definitely this is one of those conditions where we can make a huge difference in treatment of these patients, improving the quality of life. So thank you for that. So let's move on and let's talk a little bit about, start with the lupus, the cutaneous lupus, and talk a little bit about the therapies that we have available. I was thinking maybe let's talk a little bit very, very briefly about pathogenesis and some of those important molecules, players, pathways that have emerged as being very important for lupus. Yeah, you know, lupus is a, like a multi-organ, multi-factorial diseases and can affect skin, kidney, you know, neurologic, vasculitis, 
in the past, most of the conventional treatment are not targeted therapy. They're more sort of a broader spectrum immune modulator or immune suppressant or anti-inflammatories. Uh, for example, you know, regardless they have a systemic involvement or not, if patient has more localized uh, disease for cutaneous lupus, they're treated with more kind of a skin target therapy, topical corticosteroids, uh, topical casimir inhibitors or intravenous steroid injections. For more generalized disease, you know, antimalarials, hydroxychloroquine, mepocrine or quinacrine, chloroquine are still considered to be, you know, the standard first-line treatment. And for patients have periodic flares, they can get a short course of oral corticosteroids and second-line treatment, a more kind of a broad spectrum, methotrexate, mycophenolate, azathioprine, thalidomide, et cetera. They're not very target therapy. And these days, you know, with the advancement of basic science, we know better about the pathogenesis of the lupus. And I agree with you, we may want to quickly review them. So basically, lupus erythematosus is caused a condition caused by production of autoantibodies attacking different organs, including skin, due to a very complicated cascade of inflammatory responses caused by abnormal activation of T cells and B cells, and sometimes involving the abnormal interaction of the T cells and the B cells. And there are several, you know, molecules and cytokines have been identified to be related or play a critical role, including, you know, B cells, T cells, and, and the cytokines, including more of the type 1 interferons and the pathway involving the production of type 1 interferons and other cytokines. And recently, you know, IO-1, IO-6, and more recently, IO-17 and 23 have been identified in preclinical studies that may play a role or important role in the development of lupus nephritis. And all of these has made the development of more targeted therapy possible. Thank you for that very helpful review. So there are two FDA-approved biologic medications that are most recently approved for SLE. There's belimumab in December 2020 mm-hmm. for nephritis, and there's anifrolumab in August 2021 for moderate to severe SLE. So I was thinking, wait, let's talk a little bit about these two medications since they are the ones that are FDA approved, basically most recent biologic medications for lupus. Yes, absolutely. So flumumab is a B-cell targeting biologics. It's a monoclonal antibody blocks, blitz, also known as B-lymphocyte stimulator. So it's affecting the B cells. It has been recently approved by FDA for treating moderate to severe systemic lupus erythematosus. It comes in either as a 10 milligram per kilogram IV infusion or 200 milligram weekly subcutaneous injection. So there are two phase three trials proved that lumumab reached the primary goal for helping with multi-organ uh, involvement and decrease the flare-ups. And about 50% of the patients have positive clinical response, especially for patients with high disease activities 
abnormal serology and uh, on high dose of corticosteroids systemically. Although if the triode itself is more for patients with moderate to severe systemic lupus, the after-trial analysis did suggest they helped certain organ system better than the others. Among those separate analysis, musculoskeletal system mm -hmm. and a mucocutaneous mm -hmm. system which seems to receive a better improvement. Uh, and for cutaneous lupus itself, the subtypes benefits the best are acute cutaneous lupus and subcutaneous lupus. And there are also another multi-center case series, particularly look at the cutaneous lupus patients on bolumumab. And they were showing that 50% of the patient reached class C50 and about 20% had a complete response. And the Class C score, Class C50, is very similar to, you know, PASI scores to psoriasis. It's like a single organ outcome measurement focused on the skin for lupus patients. Even though the case series didn't show statistical significance, but those numbers are still very promising for patients who has very challenging cutaneous lupus that not responding to standard or conventional therapy we've had before. How about rituximab? Rituximab is one of those B-cell blockers, been around for a long time, definitely used for other rheumatological conditions. And some people do use it for tr treatment of difficult SLE. What is your experience with it? And what, what is some of the evidence of its use in systemic versus cutaneous lupus? Yeah, rituximab is another B-cell blockade. It's basically wipe out the B-cell by blocking CD20. It has been used off-label in case report, case series for patients with severe lupus, particularly systemic lupus. However, the randomized double-blinded clinical trial didn't reach the primary endpoint. Uh, however, there are the studies more in-depth of the analysis showing that probably benefits the musculoskeletal system and hematological system better. In terms of cutaneous lupus, it's a lot more complicated and Mm -hmm. The results are very mixed and inconsistent. The large single center, you know, large uh, single center retrospective case theory showed that it probably benefits more of the acute cutaneous lupus and bullous lupus. For chronic lupus, the results are inconsistent and somewhat controversial mm -hmm. because there are studies showing that a group of the uh, patient with discoid lupus that were put on rituximab actually end up developing new subcutaneous lupus lesions. So it's not a, as a clear picture as bulimumab and a really special caution need to be made when you decided to put patient on rituximab just based on cutaneous lupus. Has to be really case-to-case -case consideration and uh, watch closely for these paradoxical Toxical development of new cutaneous lupus lesions. Thank you for that. That's really helpful. Definitely, in our experience, rituximab can sometimes be a little challenging to use for the cutaneous manifestations of the post-chronic systemic disease. Can definitely, or can be perhaps less helpful. Now, how about the plasma cytodendritic cells? Now, these are the type of cells that actually secrete type one interferons which are very important in the pathogenesis of lupus. And definitely there have been animal studies in the past looking at 
depletion of these cells in the treatment of cutaneous lupus. So are there any agents targeting these and, and what is some of the data for those? There are actually a group of the medications that is on the investigational phase that targeted plasma cytoid dendritic cells. There are a couple of them. One of them is called daxidilumab, which is a monoclonal antibody targeting the BDCA2, which is called blood dendritic cell antigen 2, particularly targeting plasma cytoid dendritic cells. Again, as you said, it's more targeting the downstream type 1 interferon pathway. They actually have a pretty promising phase 1 and a phase 2 study data. And the analysis, you know, they particularly look at the uh, classy scores on these patients. And one of the phase 2 studies did met primary endpoints with different doses comes in as a subcutaneous injections. And showing that classy score responses, it's around 40% compared with the placebo, which is around 14%. And that is significantly different statistically. Almost 20 to 25 of the patients meet classy 50 criteria. I think this is very promising and hopefully move along to uh, phase three trials. But at this point, it's not commercially available yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's really, I mean, those numbers are really good. That's really promising. Another pathway I think that a lot of people, or that, that's been very interesting, the JAK-STAT pathway, also upstream of the type 1 interferons, has been one of those pathways that has gotten a lot of attention for a number of conditions, including for lupus. So what are some of those small molecules that perhaps have some promise for, for lupus? Yeah, the JAK inhibitor is a really big hot topic in dermatology and has been proven to be maybe beneficial for varieties of uh, autoimmune and inflammatory cutaneous conditions. And it definitely draws attention to the field of connective tissue disease. So several of like atofacitinib, daricitinib, recently proved up upetacitinib. Uh, more of those are more proved for atopic dermatitis or rheumatoid arthritis. It's still quite early at this point for lupus. It has more data for dermatomyositis, but for cutaneous lupus, it's still quite early. For, for example, for tofacitinib, there's one phase one trials focused on different subtypes of cutaneous lupus. It's a small trial with only 20 patients enrolled and the result hasn't come out yet. But there's definitely multiple case reports and case series suggesting that might benefit lupus particularly cutaneous lupus and interstitial lung disease and some other organ involvement in connective tissue disease. For baricitinib, uh, unfortunately, the phase two trial failed to reach the primary endpoint. The upacitinib is quite early at this point. You know, we probably will going to see case reports and case series coming up. One of the newer therapy, again, also targeting the JAK-STAT pathway, I want to extend the discussion a little bit, is bucrevacitinib. Mm-hmm. It's a medication that selectively block tyrosine kinase type 2, recently approved by FDA for treating psoriasis. Just, and it has, over the past few years, it started the phase 2 trials for patients with moderate to severe systemic lupus erythematosus, 
just earlier this week, the sponsor sort of declared a promising phase two trial, which is very exciting. So it proves that it reached both primary endpoint and secondary endpoint for two dose regimens. It's an oral tablet. It's both three milligram or six milligram twice daily dose. At week 32, it reached the primary point of helping decrease the flare-ups of the moderate to severe systemic lupus. And the secondary endpoint at age of, uh, at week of 48 improved the uh, CLASI score for cutaneous lupus. And I would expect that a phase three trial will be on the way in the near future, very soon. And it's a really a study that worth watching. And I'm hoping that we will soon have a more complete result from the phase three trials and hopefully add another tool to our toolbox to treating severe acutaneous lupus. This is really exciting. I think definitely having a small molecule inhibitor that we could use in addition to some of the other therapies already available would be very exciting. A lot of the medications, of course, are infusions or some of the biological connections. And so having a small molecule with good data in clinical trials, that would be very, very exciting. Have you had experience with using anifrolumab, which is the monoclonal antibody inhibiting the type 1 interferon receptor? This is, it has been approved recently, so I don't know if you've had a lot of experience using it, but this is one of those medications that did show good data for the skin improvement in for cutaneous lupus. And so I just wanted to see your experience with it, or if you can tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, honestly, I don't have a personal experience using this medication yet. As you said, it's just recently approved by uh, FDA to treat systemic lupus, particularly moderate to severe phase, as a monoclonal antibody inhibiting the type 1 interferon receptors. I can briefly review the data that is available, which, as you said, is very promising. So it came as a IV infusion, 300 IV infusion, 300 milligram every four weeks. Through the phase three trials, it did meet the primary endpoints, which shows improvement in multiple organ systems and significant decreased episode of the new flare-ups. And again, post hoc analysis pulling the data from the phase three trials, particularly focusing on evaluation of the skin, compared the uh, treatment and placebo group did show significant improved on CLASI scores with 60% of the patients based on CLASI measurement with improvement of the skin compared with 30% in placebo groups with the P less than 0.001, definitely statistically significant. And also using another SLE disease activity index, they show 44% of patients had a resolution of a quote-unquote rash, which didn't elaborate which subtype of cutaneous lupus. Primarily, you know, if I would have to expect is more of acute and subcutaneous lupus, but compared with 4.8% in placebos, and also they show when combined with the standard therapies, it improves the CLASI score by greater than 50% compared with the standard uh, treatment. So the data is there showing very promising results that this might improve 
cutaneous lupus. Again, I guess um, since it's not probably easier to get access if the patient also has a systemic lupus. And based on the data, it also has a pretty good safety profile with uh, shingles is probably the most the common side effects. Definitely a medication uh, worth to explore. And I think that's why it's important because a lot of the studies on the connective tissue disease are done in the rheumatological field based on systemic lupus. But a really good starting point for us as a dermatologist to look at these medications and push for more studies, particularly focused on cutaneous lupus, so that we have more disease-specific data to push for improved, you know, even FDA approval for, you know, severe cutaneous lupus patient down the road. Thank you. Yes, I think you are exactly correct that sometimes it is challenging because some of the outcomes in the trials, they're not really skin-specific or we need more studies to really focus on specifically the skin as opposed to all the other findings in SLE. Thank you so much. There was such an interesting summary of all of the emerging therapies in lupus. I was thinking maybe we can spend a few minutes talking about Sjogren's syndrome. This is another rheumatological disease that has cutaneous manifestations. We see this a lot in patients who are diagnosed with primary Sjogren's syndrome. A number of Cutaneous manifestations, erosis, Raynaud's, assuming like annular edema, and it's another condition where there are no widely accepted therapies for the management of the skin findings in primary Sjogren's. So I was thinking maybe we can talk a little bit about some of the skin findings in Sjogren's and then some of the therapies that are emerging for specifically treatment of the skin with the caveat again that some of the clinical trials do not include the skin perhaps as a primary endpoint. Yeah, sure. So before I move to Sjogren, can I have just a few minutes to briefly talk about agufamaz we're familiar with as a psoriasis medication we're familiar with as dermatologists that has also been used and tested under investigation for uh, cutaneous lupus. Just briefly, one is IL-23 and 17 has been recently shown to play a critical role in pathogenesis of lupus nephritis. So there are more studies on the way to testing. One of them are used to QCMAS. We know very well there are phase two studies showing that it did reach the secondary endpoint benefits to cutaneous lupus based on PASI score, but phase three trials to then show statistical significance. But this is a medication I personally definitely used in clinics off-label, and I will say not all patient benefits, but certain patients with subcutaneous lupus definite benefits from this medication. And another one is currently under investigation is Secucunumab, the IL-17 blockade, is undergoing a phase two trial that worth to look forward to. And also a primulast Otesla. There is one open-labeled single-armed study did show that it may help the patient with discoid lupus. So I expect that there are more study might be going on on the field. And since those are the medication we dermatologists are quite familiar with, so it's worth to watch too. And going to Sjogren's, and I agree with you, Sjogren's is kind of a little bit less under the radar for most of the dermatologists beyond dry mouth and dry eyes, which is a classic sicka sim- symptoms, as you said. It also has a specific cutaneous manifestation, including, you know, 
dry skin, rainouts, and particularly subcutaneous-like manifestation. And those usually correlate with better prognosis, milder systemic involvement, and the treatment I wouldn't pay, you know, spend too much time on because the, the treatment and response to the treatment is very similar to subcutaneous lupus. And another sort of more specific for Sjogren's is cutaneous vasculitis. Mm-hmm. Uh, about 10% of the patients with primary Sjogren's may have cutaneous vasculitis, particularly leukocytoclastic vasculitis, urticaria vasculitis, and a small group of patients may have cryoglobinemic vasculitis and tends to have a worse prognosis. And then the Zika symptoms is very, very challenging and notoriously recalcitrant to treatment. And so far, there are uh, you know, a lot of study going on, but not a whole lot of a very definite data coming out yet. One of the studies shows, you know, when you combine rituximab and zolumumab, it may improve salivary flow and cutaneous vasculitis particularly. So it's something worth to watch. And another big area that has been going on for a lot of the investigations is the JAK inhibitors, including tofacitinib, avaricitinib, and upadacitinib are all under investigation and open enrollment for primary Sjogren's, particularly with cutaneous vasculitis. But currently, there is really no data available. There are a small study on another selective JAK1 inhibitor, figotinib, have been shown that may improve salivary flow only on animal models. But the primary endpoint of phase two study didn't met the criteria. So there, it's still in a very early preclinical or early clinical phase. So I think we should just keep watching what is coming along. Thank you for that. Yes, unfortunately, most of the agents are in early clinical studies and there's a lack of FDA approval for most agents. And so definitely, I think, I think overall, there are a lot more studies out there. So I think that's exciting. And I think there will be a lot more data coming through hopefully soon. And I think that's both for lupus and for Sjogren's. I think that's kind of the the breadth of the various ages that are emerging. I think it's exciting because this is an area definitely where historically the lupus hasn't had anything approved for a very long time. And then we had the bilimumab, we had the anifrolumab, and we have a lot of promising studies, I think, so ongoing. So I definitely think it's exciting because we will have more and more therapies in our armamentarium to really help the patients. So I don't know if there's anything you want to say as in conclusion. I just want to say thank you for talking to us about this very important topic. And I think our listeners have learned a lot about lupus and Sjogren's. And so I just wanted to thank you for having this discussion with us today. And is there anything else that you would like to tell our listeners? Yeah, I would just like to thank you to allow me the opportunity to review and discuss what's going on, the promising, exciting new findings in connective tissue disease, especially, you know, today, lupus and Sjogren's, and they have a lot of overlaps. And it's also something really dear to my mind, too. And I'm really hoping, and um, just like all the other inflammatory cutaneous conditions, we're looking forward to a major breakthrough 
in a new, more targeted therapy with better efficacy, better safety profile within the next five to 10 years or even soon. <laughs> yes, hopefully. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Dr. Lou. And thank you to our listeners. We hope you have enjoyed this edition of Dialogues in Dermatology. This is Todd Schlesinger, your Editor-in-Chief. For more podcasts, including bonus issues, check us out online at the website of the American Academy of Dermatology or through the Dialogues in Dermatology app. You can now also sync your subscription to your favorite podcast app. New podcasts are released each week in addition to our monthly JAD podcasts. We hope you enjoy these new options for listening to dialogues and the increasing content for your listening pleasure. Thank you.